Welcome to the Run Run Live 3.0 podcast, where we celebrate the transformational powers of endurance sports. Hello and welcome to episode 3-267 of the Run Run Live podcast. Today I have some good stories to tell you. Our interview today is with Kevin Carr, who is off to run around the world. Yes, indeed, he is setting off on an 18,000-mile run. Why not? In section one, we're going to talk about making progress... And in section two, I'm going to give you my race report from the 24-hour around-the-lake ultra-endurance run that I ran a marathon at last Friday night. The short story is my legs didn't show up for some reason, and I had one of those races. It was a struggle. I'm not going to overanalyze, but I probably will. I'm just going to take it for what it is and see what I can learn from it. We have some rambling about this later, so stay tuned. Poor old buddy, the Wonder Dog, is struggling in the heat. I took him out with the club on a slow 10K Sunday, and he just doesn't like running on the road in the heat on the leash. He's okay if he can be off-leash or in the woods, but having to trot alongside me, it's just hard for him. He doesn't like it. And we humans, we're getting acclimated to it, and we don't notice it as much, whereas he's still wearing that black fur coat. And when I go to the office on these hot days, if I'm at home and not traveling, I'll leave the AC on for him in the house. So he's comfortable, but he really doesn't get a chance to acclimate. (laughs) He's in the air conditioning. So we've got a bunch of big bunnies living in the yard now. The wet summer has helped them survive, I guess. I went out to my garden one night last week, and I had left the gate open a crack, and one of these big bunnies was inside the fence, inside the garden. And it was a bit dicey because I had Buddy with me, and I didn't want Buddy to see the rabbit inside the garden. I could just picture this comic chase ensuing where the rabbit had nowhere to escape, and they just tore up and destroyed all my vegetables. But that didn't happen. I managed to shoo the bunny back out through the gate before Buddy got wind of what I was up to, and they both took off into the woods. (laughs) I didn't see Buddy again for a while, but eventually he came back. He was a bit sweaty and disheveled, crisis averted. He, He doesn't really stand a chance of catching a healthy adult rabbit, but he likes a good chase, as do we all. One time, a couple years back, there was a litter of baby rabbits in the yard, and he kept sneaking off to pick them up and bring them back. So picture the the border collie slinking through the yard with a guilty look on his face carrying a baby rabbit. You get the picture. Before I forget, I wanted to thank Richard Bach, a listener from the UK, who read that Shelley poem for us in his BBC voice. I always thought that poem was a, a very powerful image. The God King, scourge of the land, and nothing left but a stone head in the desert waste. Very powerful imagery. And after making some attempt to go back to a weekly release schedule for the podcast, I realized that was just me trying to do too much again. So I think it's important 
to the relationship with your audience to have a predictable publishing schedule, I'm going to keep it at every other Friday. Part of this is that I'm working on other projects as well as training and work. I'm, you know, I'm busy as everyone else is. I'm starting up two other blogs and websites right now I've been working on over the last few weeks. And originally I had planned to have these blogs be anonymous. I worked really hard to keep my, my work life separate from my running life. And I didn't want them to be directly related to run, run, live. But I came to a realization last week that that was just me being afraid for no reason. And I, I can't give you all the details because I'm still in the creation mode, the genesis mode, but one of them is going to be a life motivation and balance theme, like what I've been doing uh, with some of the sections here. And my goal here would be to help and enable people with some practical life advice for what it's worth. And the other one is simply going to be to flesh out my professional avatar and extend slash expand that brand with some of the tools that I've learned from this exercise. So nothing earth shattering, just some other projects I'm working on to extend stuff. And congrats to all the athletes some of our friends who ran the Badwater 135 Ultra Marathon a couple weeks back. At least two of them we've interviewed here, including, of course, Dean Carnassus and my favorite bodybuilder and yours, turned ultra-athlete Cheryl Zarkowski. And I noticed that many of the athletes, when I was looking at the pictures, were wearing those hokas. It's crazy, but those big, ugly moon boots are actually really comfy. They're neutral cushion shoes. More importantly, back to my garden. I got a couple of awesome zucchini. I have a killer cucumber harvest. I'm harvesting three different kinds of beans right now. I've got fresh rosemary, delectable basil, parsley, and cilantro. I've got a few small handfuls of berries. I've got four giant kale plants, but they're looking a bit tattered from the cabbage worms. I harvested romaine lettuce, spinach, and some vigorous Aragula. The tomatoes, they're not so great. Not enough sun for them this year, and I seem to be sharing my cherry tomatoes with some small, hungry varmint. The hops, the hops showed promise, but the flowers didn't get as big as I thought they were going to. I'll wait a few more weeks till they get nice and sticky, and then I'll harvest them for one of my lucky home-brewing friends and trade for, perhaps, a few pints of honest brown ale. But I fear I have rambled more than enough. On with the show. Are you hungry? Here's some food for thought. Progress, not perfection. How to stay motivated when things are going slowly. Every day, one of the first things I do is to try to create a list of the things I'm going to get done in that day. Every day I get to scratch some completed task off my list, and that gives me great satisfaction. Some days I don't get anything done. Sometimes it's because something more urgent comes along and jumps the queue, and that's what I have to put my energy into. Sometimes it's because I'm tired or lazy or distracted. And you know what? I can deal with both of those situations. The situation that really frustrates me is when I get into a project, I spend a bunch of time working on it, and I produce no usable results. And this happened to me last week. I worked on my one of my new websites for two or three days and ended up having to delete it and start over. 
And when this happens, I have to remind myself that what is important is that I'm making progress. Even though I have nothing to show for it, nothing tangible to show for it, at least I know what not to do when creating the initial install of a WordPress for a new site on my hosting service. As I go through trying to set it up again, it won't take as long because I'll have the benefit of having taken all the wrong turns and run into all the walls the first time through. I'll also have learned what questions to ask. I'll be able to ask smarter questions because I have garnered the experience of the setback, and maybe I'll be less likely to forge ahead without asking for help. But knowing me, that's unlikely. I have to remind myself that I did accomplish something. I learned something. The real reason it frustrates me is that it runs counter to my expectations. I'm mad because I thought it would be easy, especially for a pseudo-technical smart guy like me. Once again, the root of my frustration is self-created, as it always is. I tend to react to these frustrations by trying harder. If the wall doesn't fall, run into it harder. In some cases, this is a healthy success trait. In others, it is not. Sometimes I find the only way out of these frustrating situations is to step back, to force myself to take a break, to recharge emotionally before tackling it again. In these situations where you're pretty sure you have failed, you need to remember that you're still alive, you're still breathing, you can pick yourself up, dust yourself off, learn from your experience, and carry on in the long game. The grand scheme, it really doesn't matter. It's all just part of the adventure. One of the podcasts I listen to is called Internet Business Mastery, and these two guys refer to this concept as progress, not perfection. And their point is that your goal is to continue to make progress. And as long as this happens, you'll eventually figure it out and get somewhere better. And this is good because it forces you to focus on the motion, the activity, and not so much on the results. Projects sometimes are like mosaics. You don't get to see the full picture until you get all the pebbles in place. And many times that picture isn't what you started out intending to build, but it is something. It is progress, and it is experience. It is motion. This concept meshes well with my continuing effort to take the long view in general. I know that making a little progress every day piles up over time. That's how I can run a qualifying marathon. I work out every day. That's how I've written two-plus books by writing one or two posts per week. And that's how I lost 15 pounds in the last four months. Some days you win a little. Some days you lose a little. And it's those small movements that add up in due time. The lesson for you is not to get frustrated when you have those days or weeks or months where you don't accomplish what you thought you'd accomplish or what you expected to accomplish. Focus instead on the progress you made and make sure you're taking lots of small steps in the right direction. Don't let the bad voices in your skull start making up rules and punishing you for not making more progress. I can hear them telling you, that because you didn't get X done, you're a big old loser. Then they pile on with all the reasons you're a big old loser, and that's not true. You won. You made progress. At the very least, you discovered one more way it doesn't work. Another great related concept that I heard this week is 
it's only failure if you give up. I take breaks when I run out of energy, but I try not to give up on the long game. I'm going to go back and recreate that website and keep banging on it till it's done. I didn't fail. I just made progress. And it's going to take a little longer than I wanted it to. And this strategy is actually a great tool in the business world. I've seen so many people win in the long run just because they stuck to their positions and everyone else got tired and moved on and gave up. Now, that doesn't mean you and I should blindly flail against unmovable objects until we give up the ghost. There's a difference between giving up and altering your approach or altering your course. It's perfectly okay to take what you've learned from your first or second or third or fourth frustrating try and use that feedback to alter your approach or to try something different. If I was really smart, I'd get a WordPress expert to set up these sites for me because I'm obviously not that good at it. But I won't because I'm stubborn. And there is probably some intrinsic value in knowing how it works. So, my friends, let us review. 1. Make sure you have a list of things that you're going to get done. 2. Focus on making progress. Don't worry about being perfect. 3. Focus on the long view. Progress is many small, continuous works over time. 4. Understand that most of your frustration will come from expectations you set for yourself, and you can control those. 5. You can't fail if you keep trying. 6. Choosing an alternate approach or a different path based on your experience is different than giving up. We have been graced with the ability to learn and to apply those learnings to our future selves. Use that skill and enjoy your adventure. And now for today's featured interview. So uh, so I haven't done a whole lot of research, Kevin, but you seem like a wild man. I think that's a compliment. <laughs> um, a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> yeah. Unusual, I'd say. I was looking at uh, uh, one of your websites there, and you were saying basically that Dean Carnassus is a lightweight, and you're, uh, you've done a ton more uh, elevation and, and mileage than he has. Um, yeah. <laughs> Could be in soldier that way. <clears throat> that was just the... Um, so what I did back in 2009, which was um, the two furthermost points of the UK, uh, Land's End to John O'Groats, and that's 1,254 miles, which is approximately 46 marathons. But it was off-road over trails, so the mountains of England and the mountains of Scotland. Is uh, the West Highland Way part of that? Yep, that was just that was just one part of it. That's a hundred-mile track, and that was one one part of the of the run. Yeah, because I think that was actually yesterday. West it, Highland Way Ultra. The Ultra Race, yeah, yeah. yeah it would so. be it would be um, the weekend just gone because it's the lightest day right, of it, the year, the longest, it, so it gives them more chance to do it in daylight. Midsummer's Eve, or yeah, whatever solstice. you call it, yeah, and that that sounds real, uh, real pretty uh, up there in Scotland. Yeah, it is. Um, you get eaten alive by the midges, though. I don't know how you have them in America. I think I know they're bad in Canada. Yeah, it depends where you are. You know, you get different fauna depending on where you are in the world. Mm. I guess the the weather can be pretty random up there in Scotland as well. Yeah, you can get snow in June, and you can get it. 
fantastic October, warm October, you, you, but you never know. You, it's usually, quite often it's just wet all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It just rains all the time. But now you're going on a new adventure. Yep, in five weeks' time, setting off to try and get a record for the circumnavigation of the world on foot, which is 18,000 miles in a roughly continuous direction, and it has to start, stop in the same place. So how long is that going to take, you think, plus or minus? Because you can't really... Yeah, it can't be too accurate, but I want to do it in just under 19 months. All right, so that's... uh, Is that a... An optimistic estimate or a pessimistic, or is that your um, middle? I'd say it's fairly optimistic. It's not. It's not outlandishly optimistic. It's. It doesn't give very little time for slowing down for any injuries or illness. So, which is bound to happen at some point. So, what's the route? We got Europe, crossing Asia, across India. Where are you coming through Europe? Europe is France, Belgium, Germany, Denmark, Sweden, Finland, into Russia, across to Kazakhstan. Yeah. Uh, then flying over the war zones of um, Afghanistan and Pakistan and pretty much areas where it's just not safe to go through. And then continuing east across India. Yep. So from Goa to Chennai. Then down to Perth and across all of Australia keep into the southern coast, the most temperate part. And the, the timing of the runs be named to hit Australia in winter because it's the most, some of the most remote bits I'll be in where I need to, I think it's the only time it can be done without a support crew, uh, is winter in Australia. Australia's, Australia's winter. Yeah, in Australia's winter, I have to hit it then. Mm. I think any of the season's too warm for water needs without support and, and and I always get Australia upside down because I'm on the other side of the planet but the you're saying you're going to run the the um not the part close to China but the other part yeah, yeah. across the continent <clears throat> from Sydney and and yeah, all the populous from, from places to the, across the other side but hugging the coastline where there's a, a few towns every now and then <laughs> yeah that's a big continent yeah yeah, that's going to be probably one of the most demoralizing ones in some ways because there are huge stretches of flats, so the horizon just won't seem to move from day to day. In some places, you've got 300 miles between towns, and with just a few, there's a few cafes in between, but not much else really. And then from there, are you then going back over to Asia, or are you going uh, North no, to New Zealand first, and then, then I come over to San Francisco? Okay, so you're skipping China. And the Far East. Yeah, I'm doing Southeast Asia with with India. It's very difficult to do China with the visas. Right. You can just about manage it cycling, but running, you sort of have to press your luck really and hope that you can get visas extended when you're there. But it m- might not happen. And then it's uh, no, no. If I had a choice, I'd rather run through Australia than China. Oh no, Australia would be as well anyway. But it's. Um, yeah, it'd be, it's very difficult sort of politically to run through China for that to be there that long. <laughs> and then, so then you're you're going to run across the states from the west coast, or you're going to go south or north? or um, North first, so up to Washington, up to Calgary, across to yeah. Winnipeg, then come back yeah. into the states again. So Chicago, New York, and Boston, that way. Sure. 
Yep, through yeah. Ontario, my neck of the woods up there in Boston. Yeah. And then from there, we get Marrakesh in Morocco and up to Spain. And I go through Madrid, which is directly opposite Wellington in New Zealand. So that's one of the stipulations of the Guinness World Records is you have to pass through two points, two antipodal points. Ah. So, which closes a imaginary circle around the world. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So and so they don't care if you get on a plane or no, a, a no. boat occasionally. <laughs> no, it seems quite arbitrary the numbers. I mean, yeah, you have to do at least eighteen thousand miles, which it seems a number they just chose. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Suppose it's three quarters of the equator, which is twenty four. They they admit you have to use planes or boats at some point to to get between the equators. So. Sure. Yeah, I think yeah. they just chose that you have to do three quarters of it. it has to be at least on foot, which is fair. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if you had to run the whole way, you'd have to wait till another ice age to get a land bridge. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. or run circles on a boat while you were crossing. Yeah. So how are you supporting yourself? Are you pushing some sort of some sort of carriage or something, <clears throat> or pulling something? Um, pulling actually a bit like they use on the sort of North Pole expeditions, a pulk, but on wheels so a set yep, two, yep. two mountain bike wheels with slick tires and um a sort of kevlar puncture proof bead on those yeah that's it. it's not much larger than a well it is it fits within the suitcase sizes for the airport it all breaks down into itself when i can get to the airport and go between continents then so does it have a little uh, a little sleeping quarters in it or are you uh no, no i did start making this is the the one that will be ready this week is sort of version four of what I've been trading with. Um, I did build one together 14 months ago when I first started getting ready just for a prototype. With, it was just under six foot long and um, I had a little tiny one-man tent on top of it so I could so practice so I could run, stop, get in, sleep a little bit, run again. But the wind resistance was crazy and the thing, it fell apart anyway as a prototype, but yeah. enough to know that I don't want to use something that big and the chance yeah. ran over I was best part of sort of 15 foot long then it was quite a long like running, if you're running towards the traffic they don't expect something to be behind you when they pull in yeah, <laughs> um, and you yeah no because I've yeah. seen those before those guys pull on the big sort of a oh. Winnebago or a caravan oh. trailer yeah is, um, so, so that'll be easier I guess you want to travel light when you're going 18,000 miles yeah, as light as possible, really. The, the trailer's made out of aluminium and carbon fiber. Uh, it looks more like a rickshaw, if anything, really. Um, <laughs> I'll get you, I can get you a picture over when I collect it this week. That's great. You can, uh, you can, you can take rides. That's so how you can support yourself. You can, you can ferry <laughs> people to cities. Yeah, it would be good. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are you doing for like uh, food and repairs and all that other sundries that you're going to need as you? As you do this, you're, you're going to be crossing some places where you probably got, oh, I'm going to guess 300K between between outposts. Yeah, that's this, that's the main reason for the trailer is it enables me to cover about sort of 200, at a very big push, 300 miles uh, without access to food. So you can carry approximately six kilos of food per day. So get up yeah. to, I mean, it's going to be heavy. That would be... But it's going to get six kilos lighter every day. So uh, yeah, and and the water is very important. You can go without food, but you can't go without water. 
yeah, you can go, but only for so long um, because you lose a lot of strength. Obviously, you know, if you if you yeah. if you drop in weight fast, if it's a one week adventure race or something, you know, a one week event, and you can recover afterwards, that's fine. But if you've got to keep going the the next month and the next month, you can't right. lose weight too fast because you seem to lose strength. You you want to lose it sort of consistently a little bit each each month, really, rather than drastic weight drops. So have you found some uh, calorie-dense, you know, good calorie-per-weight ratio stuff to, to trot around with you? Butter and chocolate are pretty much the best ways to get a lot of calories in and don't spoil too bad. And then obviously, you know, if you, you, you cook up some pasta or rice, but you can melt pretty much half a packet of butter into that and you add 2,000 calories on top of the 1,000 that you might have put in with the rice and then... You know, you need you need some flavour so you can eat it. <laughs> but um, yeah, high fat really. So I'd need about eight thousand calories a day on average to do it, to do it. Right, because your body can't burn glycogen for that kind of time on your feet. It just there's there's just no way. No, you got no. to burn <clears throat> fat. So so you got to train your body to not only burn fat as its first choice, but to also process it the night before so you could burn it the next day. Yeah, yeah, you want to be pretty much in the fat-burning state all the time. But, I mean, the trailer, I can't run fast anyway with the trailer. So you are in a, a very, you know, very steady pace, which would be sort of 60% of your energy would be coming from fat-burning anyway, even if you hadn't changed your diet. And if you go to a high-fat diet, you're looking at sort of 80% plus of calories can quite easily come from, from body fat um, and the, well, the fat that you're ingesting as well, the mixture of the two. But yeah, you're quite right. You need to gently build up to that, otherwise you'll be running off to the bush or bathroom, whatever, quite quickly if you suddenly go to a very high fat diet. Yeah, so you're a you're you sound like an experienced ultra runner. So you you've probably been training your body for this. What have you been doing to get ready? A huge amount of strength training compared to, to just logging the miles. Really, I used to a few sort of four years ago. No, five years ago now, I was really into just getting more and more miles. So I'd run twice a day for nine days, have one day off and repeat. And that was averaging sort of two and a half, three hours a day and um, got to some very big mileage. And um, I then contacted William Sitchell, who is he's based in the Orkney Islands in Scotland. And he's one of the best yeah. ultra runners in the UK. Well, one of the best in the world, actually, for, for like real big sort of 48 hours or thousand mile distances spoke to him about training and my my training went from three like actual running went from two and a half three hours a day to about four and a half to five hours a week but running with weighted vests built up to running with sort of 20 percent of your weight on a vest and um it just builds incredible strength in the muscles and when you take that weight vest off they just don't get tired really but that's you have to match that up with a lot of sort of deadlifts and squats and single leg squats and literally sort of double the strength of your leg muscles so they don't they don't fatigue under running the stress of running it's, it just comes down to how fatigued you get sort of mentally and uh, fuel wise you can keep eating enough and you can keep moving right so i guess part of that is you're saying you know i know i'm gonna burn i'm gonna burn muscle over yeah, a, a yeah. distance event like this, I'm going to lose, you know, probably 20% of your body weight. You're going to be pretty decimated at the end. And so you're saying if you can build it up ahead of time, 
it gives you a, a better chance of making it through. Definitely, yeah. I, will. I, I don't see how I, can, I can't lose at least three stone on this event. It's going to be very hard to, no matter how much you eat, you're just burning calories. Even when, you, even when you're asleep, your calories, your metabolism's higher from, the, from that day's exertion yeah. and then repairing the damage and stuff. Um, yeah. See, that's, that's when you're at a temperate environment. When you know, I'd be passing through Canada in the winter and um, calories then might need to be sort of ten to 12,000 a day. It's just not going to be possible to do that every day. Yeah, so. it's just, you just can't get enough calories in. Yeah, yeah so essentially you're kind of uh, you're you're playing chicken with your your body to hope you can get to the end before it burns itself up. Yeah, you, I suppose it's a double-edged sword. If you if you go too if you go faster or f- well further each day, the event is shorter in time theoretically. Uh, but if you go too fast each day, you you're you're obviously increasing the amount of calories you need to fuel that effort and. Um, there has to be a balancing point, um, which is that'll be what's hard to find out. Really, it could be months you're feeling fine, and all of a sudden you you see you're dropping weight fast. You know, oh, I need to back off the pace here or do something different. And um, yeah, that that will happen, I suppose. Really, once you're into a routine of actually months on the road of going going that that long, it's easy to sort of make numbers. On paper, and, and do the maths, and well, I need to eat this much and this many miles a day, I'll be fine. But it's yeah, a sort of experiment of one really. When you actually get doing, get going, that's when you need to make adjustments on on the go. I think. Yeah, what I've uh, what I've read or heard is that it's it's good to be very consistent, and not to make the mistake of you wake up one day you feel good, so you throw in an extra twenty miles. Yeah, I, don't, I think that's because that'll come back around to bite you. Yeah, and it might be a week later when it bites you. You just suddenly feel worn right. out. Oh, what happened? I've been doing great. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah consistency. Exactly. E- even down to I don't really want to have days off as such. I prefer to have once a week an, an easier day, but still yeah. doing a, you know, a decent amount of miles, but just adding in a lot more stretching and sort of ancillary strength work those days, like working on strengthening to prevent injuries, really. Right. Yeah, so you got to make it to the starting line. So you're kind of stepping up here from what you have been doing. What's driving you to go from, you know, sort of a normal ultra marathon mountain running guy to uh, to doing this? Yeah, it's a hard one to explain that. <laughs> I mean, I've already ran all of all of the UK, so that's you know where I live. So I ran the whole length of that. You know, logical step would be then to go and do one continent. But I know that deep down, I really want to go for the record for around the world so I didn't see the point in doing the intermediate step you know it's, um, it takes so long to um, to organize and plan for these things and work with sponsors to get the backing and it's um, I think if you, if you can do one continent it's, there's, no, there's little point in stopping if you if you think you want to do, complete the whole loop really there you go yeah, yeah. <laughs> might as well just might as well just keep running pretty much <laughs> Are are you uh, are you hooking up with any particular cause or charity or or something for this? Yeah, this is going to be help the disaster relief fund for the British Red Cross. You know, the Red Cross will go in to refugees or after hurricanes or tsunamis or earthquakes, they go in and just when people are being displaced, really. And I think it kind of links up with the run, really, in a way that to get the pace I want to do, I have to keep moving every day, and I'm going to be carrying everything. I need to live about my person, which is 
kind of what happens with refugees. One minute they're living their normal life and then some disaster or invading force comes into their village and then they, you know, they grab the kids, grab, try and grab some food and they go out the door and they have to keep moving. And, um, you know, there's, there's a much more serious consequences for them. But I think it sort of helps highlight how sort of difficult it is. And those guys have got to take their kids as well and feed them. And, yeah, I'm going to have days where it's incredibly hard to keep moving. And I think, well, you know, I've chosen to do this and I don't have to feed a few other people as well. So it sort of puts it into perspective a bit. Yeah, so you did the Trans-UK run. Yeah. Um, you know, somewhere around 20, 30, 50 miles a day on a very difficult course. Yeah, um, and, that, you, that was, and, and and you self-supported yourself, and it took took you about six weeks. So you're going to go from a month and a half to 19 months of doing this. I mean, what what did you learn from doing that that you think you can pull forward uh, into this? Definitely the the food aspect. Um, for the first thousand miles of that run, I lost one stone, and it was in um, in five weeks. And in, in the last eight days. I lost a, a further stone, which was almost all muscle. And that was down to just not being able to carry enough food. From Fort William in Scotland to the end, it was 234 miles without access to any shops or any towns, just complete wild mountains. When you're that close to the finish, you can afford to lose some weight, but that was actually a horrible, like a horrendous experience, losing that much weight that fast. So the main thing planning this route and the, the way to do it has been based around having the the sort of rickshaw trailer so I can carry enough food. And I think as long as I have enough food in each day, each week, I can definitely maintain that pace. I mean, as you say, 30 miles, 30 miles a day, um, but over mountains and moorland and sort of, you know, very boggy tracks and a lot of ascent, which compared to running on the road, you know, there's a lot tougher going. So the the going on the world run would be fairly easy each day, and with, and with access to food, it should be sustainable. Um, the, the hard thing then comes down to mental discipline because you can guess how you're going to feel six months into it or eight months into it or even a year, but you can't really know until you you go and do it. You might just think, well, this sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On the other on the other hand, you know, folks like you um, like doing the uh the trail runs because you like being out in the outdoors you yeah. know and this one is not going to be you know out in the fens or the moors or the beautiful mountains it's going to be on highways yeah and how do you think psychologically you know you're going to be able to stand up to spending three or four days hauling down a highway as opposed to a beautiful mountain range yeah that's not going to be great there will be some bits which are fairly high traffic and boring and um and, and visually not exciting. Yeah, I find that's but, a lot harder on your <clears throat> on your um legs too to run on the highway especially if it's a, a cement highway versus a tarmac highway. Yeah, it it, it takes some that's sort of I found when I switched um the last sort over a year now I've been doing most of my runs on the road and I found it easier at first because it's just a lot the, the firmness of the ground you can just go a lot faster for the same amount of effort but you're right the next day you feel it a, bit, a lot more in your joints and yeah. so it takes a lot of you know getting used to that i actually run in fairly sort of minimal shoes as well so it's i haven't changed from you know i've sort of trail running you almost always 
sort of on the balls of your feet and I haven't changed to heel striking for on the road so I haven't gone with the, the sort of cushioned route and hoping that my trainers don't pack in I've just run quite a short stride but fairly fast really um, right um, yeah and it's quite light on on your body that way it's, it's tough on your calves but if you're used to running lots of hills you're fairly strong there anyway right but the one thing you have to watch out for is the camber the you know the road's usually Oh yeah, off to one side, and um, especially in some of these remote places because they want the uh, the rain to drain off the roads. Yeah, they don't want to spend much on repairing the roads. So they have it drain fast, and they, they make it steeper. I want to be on the edge of the road to be away from traffic, but that's where the cameras are steepest. You, so you have to keep trying to switch sides as best you can throughout the day. Uh, yeah, so so you're going to have some great stories to tell here, Kevin. At yeah, the end of this. yeah, I hope so. You're going to have you're going to have quite an adventure. And you're going to have a lot of fun. So you're going to write a book after this, or make a movie, or something? I definitely like to think there'll be a, a, a book out of it, really, to you know tell to share the story because that, that's uh, what got me into ultra running in the first place was a book. I read the book um, Running Wild by John Anarino. No, I haven't read it. That's a fantastic read. It's one of the first people in recorded history to run the length of the Grand Canyon. Okay. And he had people, he had friends abseil down at certain points and meet him with food parcels. But he ran, I think, four or five days from one end to the other. He did the North Rim and the South Rim. He did it two separate occasions. Yeah, you just, I read that book and I was like, oh, I wonder if I can do that. And I started pushing my runs a lot further. And then... You mentioned Carnatic earlier. I read his book and that really pushed me. I was like, yeah, this is like, it's a really well-written story. And it's, yeah, you, it's quite an odd thing that it's quite hard to meet other people that do the same sort of thing. So you, it's good if you can share the story, really. And if someone can read that and think they might get into it, then that's a pretty good thing. Okay, so I'm going to have to uh, move to the exit now. But uh, anything you want to want to leave folks with? I can't think of anything off my head, Chris, right now. Yeah, yeah, you're but, too um, worried about having to run for 19 months. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. But, I mean, I could maybe catch up with you during the run, perhaps. Uh, sure, yeah, I'd love to. I mean, if you can find a way to get to Skype, just yeah. uh, drop me a message and we'll chat. Yeah. Because I, I've talked to a lot of folks who've run the, um, you know, across the U.K. and across and biked and run across the United States and Canada, and it's always an interesting story. It's an interesting arc. Yeah, yeah, I imagine it is. But, so, uh, uh, but yeah, I'll be I'll be keeping the blog and, and Twitter updated um, throughout the run with a little satellite, like a two-way satellite tracker, which okay. you can text an email through as well. Right. But, yeah, but I'm sure I'll get Wi-Fi in plenty of places, at least once. Yeah, you would think, but I wouldn't count on it. Yeah, yeah, uh, not there'll be, there'll be lots of places I won't, but in in general, at least once a month, it'll be somewhere with it. It's surprising where it is now. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, um, give us your uh, your links and uh, where people can find you, okay. and also send them to send them to me so I can put them in the notes. All right. And yep. So the website is hardwayround.com, and the Twitter and Facebook is the same name as those. So Facebook page, so facebook.com/hardwayround, and Twitter is at hardwayround. All right. So I'm going to let you go. Good luck and uh, check in a couple of months. Yeah, we will do. I'll let you know how it's going. All right. Brilliant. Thanks, Cheers. Chris. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I can do anything. I can be anything. I am not afraid. Around the Lake, another story. 
I would really like to be able to tell a different story about this race. I would really like to tell that other story, the one I had been rehearsing in my head, the story of how I had beaten back chronic injury, trained well, gotten fit, lost weight, and the punchline would be that I easily crushed a qualifying time on a flat loop course. The happy ending that I always get through perseverance and hard work, and then I just pretend it's luck. Well, Friday night... I raced well and disciplined into the half marathon, but then it just fell apart. I did not have the legs. Flip a coin. It was either overtraining or not enough quality miles, or I just had a bad day. Who knows? You'll make yourself crazy trying to tease discrete causalities out of that chaos. I feel fairly frustrated that I keep coming up short in these marathons, but I'm also cognizant of the fact that you may be getting frustrated with me as well. And it's true that I've been all talk and no results for the last few months, but that's what you get in real life. If this was a movie or even a reality TV show, I would have triumphed and gotten my successful race in before the second commercial break, but it isn't. And even though I am an avatar, I am susceptible to the same physical laws as everyone else. I can't make stuff up. I can't force a happy ending. All I can do is train and adapt as I go and compete. That is one of the reasons I have always loved the marathon, because you never know what's going to happen. On paper, based on my history, I should be able to knock this time out no problem. But history only influences the future. It does not predict or guarantee results. I went into this race with six months of reasonable training since coming back from the injury. I have managed to work my weight down to close to 180 pounds from a high of 195-ish. I'm lean-ish, and my core is fit. I've been getting in four days a week of running with three days of cross-training. This should have been a no-brainer. The only thing that could have gone wrong was to get hot weather. The weather was as good as you could ask for this time of year. It was rainy and in the 70s. The course wasn't perfect, but there were no big hills to complain about. It had some interesting peculiarities, but it was basically a flat 5K loop. Even with all the good work and the good luck, my legs decided not to show up. I don't know why. Now I get to sit down and look at my training and see what I can learn and plan for my next race. Just like real people do. Real people have real lives, real people have jobs, and work doesn't always go well. Real people have families, and it's not always unicorns and chocolates and rainbows. But that's the human situation. That human condition is exactly what makes life interesting and challenging. Don't worry about me. I enjoy the contest. I enjoy the narrative. I influence the narrative as best I can, but I don't always get to write the ending. And my goal is to figure out how to enjoy the contest. As I made my way out of the start-finish area for one last loop around the lake, Frank pulled up beside me on his bike. I'm videoing you. What do you want to say to your family? Frank asks. I'm trashed and suffering. And I respond, ask them why I do this to myself. What's wrong with me? Frank responds, you have an empty place that you're trying to fill. Frank knows. Frank retired from running after Boston, but we've spent many the long hours on the road together over the years, filling that emptiness. 
I came in 37th out of 89 runners in the marathon with a time of 3.55.06. The course was interesting. It was a 3.2-ish, 3.1-ish loop in a city, part of the bus and exurbia around a lake. They had the short out-and-back loop to start to get the math to work right, and then it was a straightforward eight loops to the marathon. The race was never really intended to be a certified marathon course. It has been a 24-hour and 12-hour endurance event for a number of years, and the organizers tacked a certified marathon course onto it. In the old days, when you could qualify for Boston with an October marathon, no one would want to run a marathon in July. Times are different. People in races adapt. The race started on Friday night at 7 o'clock. The ultra folks would be out there until 7 o'clock the following morning or 7 o'clock the following night. The winners would run 115 miles and 70 miles, respectively. But we puny marathoners hoped to get off the course long before then. I'd never raced a night marathon before, or a Friday marathon either. I had to decide how to best taper for it, and how to fuel appropriately. I struggled with just when and what to do, and what and how much to eat, and when. I was jacked up all day in my office at work with that excited dread that fills you in the hours before an endurance event. I got there early and did my pre-race ministrations. About an hour before the gun, it started to rain. And rain was good, considering the alternative, which was hot. The previous Friday, I had done my last training run on the rail trail at 7 p.m. to mimic race conditions, and it had been 91 degrees and Africa humid. Rain in mid-70s was much preferable. As race time approached, my adrenaline drained off, and I, I felt like taking a nap. Strange to be sitting in your car, watching the raindrops splash on the windows a half hour before a marathon, and to feel sleepy. I felt tired from the beginning. I had no snap in my legs. You folks who have gone through a quality training program successfully will know what I mean. You can feel the bounce and the barely contained energy in your legs coming out of the taper week. I didn't feel it. My legs honestly felt like they had been overtrained. Honestly, my training in August had been spotty. I had some tempo workouts that were amazingly good, but I struggled to do any kind of consistent volume or distance in the heat. As near as I can deduce, I went into the race with some odd combination of overtraining and lack of miles. We started off in the rain, and I was able to reel my pace in fairly quickly. My goal was to keep my pace between 7.50 and 8-minute miles for the first 20 miles and then take it from there. For me, the marathon as a race doesn't start until the 20th mile. It's that last 10K that determines your race. The entry fee is the first 20 miles. You have to race those first 20 miles with discipline so that when you get to 20, you have the opportunity to compete. I passed mile one with a reasonable 740 and settled right into my goal pace. By the fourth mile, the average was right where I wanted it to be, 749, 750, 751, right on target. I was working, but not terribly hard. I was finding people to pace. I made it through four laps at this pace, but couldn't hold it. And the last couple of laps were miserable. I did a fair amount of walking, but mostly just slow running. 
In the course of eight laps, you get very familiar with the course. Out of the start area, we cut across a short grass strip that got boggy in the rain. And then we spent a half mile or so on an asphalt path. Then we ran on old concrete slab sidewalks around to the far side of the lake. And there was a slight rise to the route here, maybe 20, 30 feet of elevation. It was barely noticeable. On the far side of the lake, there was an aid station about halfway around by what looked like a Korean church. Then a short length of bumpy asphalt sidewalk with roots pushing up through it where the rain weighed down the, some tree branches that whacked you in the head when you ran through. And then there was the final stretch of uneven concrete sidewalk back slightly downhill into the start-finish area and around again. The loop course has its pros and cons. On the good side, you know exactly what to expect, and you could access your stuff every three miles. On the bad side, the sidewalks in the rain involved a lot of sidestepping and stutter-stepping that sort of broke up your pace. I think the worst thing was once I knew my race was done, was staying on the course when it would be so easy just to get in my car and go home. The first two laps, it rained consistently, and we had to avoid the puddles in the sidewalk, but, but it was cool. I was carrying my Gatorade in a bottle and had staged five more bottles in a cooler by the start-finish line with my gels and Endurolites. My nutrition was good, but I had made my Gatorade a bit too strong, and it was hard to drink towards the end. It was giving me a sour stomach, so I switched to water. Even in the nighttime with the cooler temps, I lost a lot of water to the humidity. I weighed in about six pounds lighter when I got up in the morning. As I was finishing up the second lap, the sun came out, and we retreated to the most amazing, beautiful double rainbow over the lake. And people were taking pictures, and I passed ultra runners who were gazing up and smiling mystically at the sight. In the fourth lap, as the sun began to set, we retreated to clouds of mating flies of some sort. They weren't house flies or anything substantial or biting. They were just tiny diaphanous things hanging around in great clouds around the lake, and we happened to be running through their territory. Unfortunately, running through great clouds of small bugs is not pleasant. I could hear people coughing and retching as the flies went into their eyes and nose and throat. I pulled my hat brim down as far as I could and hunched over to keep them out of my eyes and breathed very carefully through my teeth, but it was uncomfortable to have to hunch over like this and to have to hack up bugs all the time. The bugs hung around for two laps on the back side of the lake until it got dark, and then they went away. Frank showed up with two laps to go, and by then I was already cooked, and I was just trying to finish. He cycled around and got me some water and took some pictures, but I, w I wasn't all that entertaining at that point. He asked me what my strategy was, and I told him the truth, that I was counting steps. I had my goon squad singlet on, the white one, and we saw some other goon squad runners out there. Mamacita passed me in the seventh lap, but then she had some stomach issues, and I think I repassed her in the last lap. Yeti was pacing someone walking, and his wife, Chopsticks, said hi to us when we came through the exchange area. And, of course, Frank's name is Bones, and my goon name is Mad Dog. After 
I had slowed and was walking at points. I just found the structure of counting to be comfortable. I would try not to walk more than 30 steps or 60 steps. And when I started running, I would count my steps to distract my mind. Sometimes I'd count out loud. Sometimes it wouldn't even make sense. I'd count like 28, 29, 100. The numbers weren't important. It was a mental trick to keep the cadence going. And there were a lot of people running the marathon, like me, trying to qualify. The winners passed me at least twice. The time I'm shooting for currently correlates with the woman's time for 20-year-olds, and I was pacing some of them at points, but mostly I was on my own lonely journey, <laughs> loops in the dark. I did notice some dropouts late in the race as I overtook some young women who had passed me earlier, and checking the results, 26 people walked off the marathon course, and that's a big number if you consider only 89 finished. There was one strange moment for me on the last lap, I remember, where I was passed by a guy wearing nothing but a light blue Speedo. And I guess it's comfortable in the summertime, but it seemed a little incongruous there in the suburbs, on the sidewalk, in the dark, <laughs> to be passed by a guy wearing nothing but a Speedo. It looked like a bikini. Looking at the results, like I said, 26 marathoners DNF'd after starting the race. And that's a problem with the loop course. It's too easy to quit. There were people walking the marathon because the course was open for 24 hours, so you could take as long as you wanted. And then there were the ultra runners on the course, and many of them were walking or they were walk running. And you were constantly passing walkers or walk runners, and it made for an interesting dynamic on the sidewalk. The uneven surfaces were tough in the dark. I had my hokas on, and they were great for keeping my feet dry in the puddles. But they were also quite slippery on the wet asphalt, and it got a bit dicey in the dark when my legs were trashed, having to navigate a puddle or a curb or a fire hydrant or a wavering pedestrian. I ended up with no blisters and no chafing. Uh, even with the wet conditions, I was fine. I figured I had to finish, and I just kept counting steps. I just kept, I just kept running. As I counted my footsteps to the end of the eighth and final loop, I knew exactly where the finish was. I tried to pick up the pace and finish strong, and I got those shooting cramps through my calves. You know the ones I'm talking about. After getting my medal, I had to lay down with my feet up on a cooler at the finish, lay down on the ground, and the world was spinning, and I was nauseous and out of sorts, and I felt really beat up. It felt like the finish of one of those first marathons where I didn't know what I was doing, and I just dumbly fought the course to the bitter end. I would not go as far to say that this was a fun course or a fun race for me. It was fairly ugly. The logistics were easy, but my race was ugly. I got a shirt and another medal and another story to tell. That's not the story I was expecting or the story I wanted to tell, but it's the real story. And now I have another pretty good story. It's a true story about the time I ran a marathon on a 5K loop in the rain around a lake at night. And I think it's better than the hundred other stories that I could tell about me sitting on the couch watching a baseball game, eating goldfish, and drinking soda pop. And I think if we weigh those Friday night alternatives in the balance, the real story of me suffering in Wakefield is part of a richer, more interesting life. And that is something that I would encourage you to celebrate with me.
The woods are lovely, dark, and deep, but I have promises to keep, and miles to go before I sleep, and miles to go before I sleep. And so, as we enter the final loop of episode 3-267 of the Run Run Live podcast, special congratulations to Coach Jeff from PRS Fit who nailed Ironman Lake Placid this week and prancer-sized across the finish line in just over 14 hours. Not bad for a guy who's in the over 105-year-old age group. What am I going to do now? Well, I've got four weeks before the Pocatello Marathon. I'm going to see if I can take my runs up to five days a week. I'm going to chill out on the 1600s and the and the track work because I think I plateaued on those. I think I need to slow it down and work on my base. I'm going to put the heart rate strap back on and do some long stuff at zone two and some step-up runs for my quality work. And I'll load in a zone two run on Fridays instead of the bike and focus on my form and see if I can do that without injuring myself. My stride still has a weird catch in it from the plantar fasciitis and I so I have to work on iron in that out. <laughs> it's a it's a work in progress, this experiment of one. I've got enough time to get one cycle of two to three quality weeks in and then I'll have at it again in Idaho. I'm like a shark. I just keep swimming. I'm going to stick with the clean eating, too, as much as possible. All the reading I've done on nutrition has got me thinking that it's a very personal thing, and you have to do what works for you. I should be under 180 pounds by the end of the month, and that's as light as I've been since 1998, and I really haven't been doing anything special. If you look at what the paleo and the vegans have in common, it's just that they focus on eating real, unprocessed food. I just try to get a lot of my food from fruits and veggies, and it's easier this time of year. I don't eat much dairy at all. Try to take it easy on the bread and the pasta as well. And if you can do those simple things combined with exercise, you'll lose fat. But it's all about what works for you and what you can sustain in your lifestyle. Honestly, small positive changes add up over time. And over the next month, I'm going to try to log my food on my fitness pal. And I want you folks to, to go there and friend me if you have, uh, if you can give me motivation, hold me accountable. And I'm also going to start trying to log my workouts. <laughs> I, I never log my workouts. And I'll do that over at Daily Mile. So so friend me there and send me a message so I can friend you back because, unfortunately, I have exceeded the quota on Daily Mile. So I'll have to unfriend some other slacker to friend you. So do it, though, because I, I need the help. I need the motivation. I signed up for the Erie Marathon on Presque Island in Pennsylvania on September 15th. This is good because it's drivable. I can drive out there and camp, and I kind of sort of go by my daughter's college in Rochester, New York on the way, so I can stop in and see her, maybe bring her some stuff. And so I have a race every Sunday in September, and it's going to be pure survival mode. It all starts uh, with Pocatello on the 31st of August, and then the Lake Winnipesaukee Relay on the 8th, Erie on the 15th, the Littleton 5K on the 22nd, and the Harvard 10-miler on the 29th. And those last two races 
are the next two races in the Neshoba Valley Grand Prix series that I'm trying to do all the races in. So now, as luck would have it, <laughs> you know, when I read this, it just sounds so insane. <laughs> now, as luck would have it, I have a conference in Denver the same weekend as the Rock and Roll Marathon. So that seems like a good match for October. <laughs> and I have tentatively booked a trip to the Fort Myers Marathon to hang out with Zen Runner on November 10th. And it just so happens that that's the week of my birthday. So I'll bring my bride and make it into a mini vacation in Florida. And I'm sure things will get dicey for me as we roll into the winter months and the marathon pickings get lean. But I haven't changed my goals and I'm running my way off and on to the 2014 Boston Marathon come hell or high water. And I know I'm cracked and I'll see you out there. Thanks for listening, folks. I do appreciate your support. Run Run Live is a free service for you because I like writing and telling stories. I also love to meet folks, so feel free to reach out to me at Gmail or any of the other social networking sites. I'm C-Y-K-T Russell, and as you know, that's Chris Yellow King Tom Russell with two S's and two L's. My website is www.runrunlive.com. And most, if not all, of this content is posted out there. If you want the show notes to magically show up in your inbox when I publish a show in a beautiful HTML wrapper, you can subscribe to the mailing list at my site. It's a useful thing. If you're moved by something I say or interested and would like to see if what I wrote is the same thing, you can find it there, and it also has all the links to everything and everyone that I talk to and about. Other than that, my friends, thank you for the attention. Do epic stuff, and let me know if I can help. Ciao.